Andy, the 2023 college football season is almost upon us as we podcast today. We are 19 days from the opener for Ohio State and Michigan. How stoked are you for this season? Reggie, I took a seven-month hiatus from sports and in their entirety after last season, partially because I just couldn't handle it anymore. I wanted to give a little bit back to the family, and I wanted to be fresh for the season when I binged on Michigan football and the college football season. And I tell you what, two weeks ago, I got the streaming subscription back, and it's been Big Ten Network on there for about 75% of the time. So I'm dosing really hard right now and i'm back on the train i'm extremely excited for the season i'm so so i'm a little more apprehensive maybe than i've been for a while now but you still can't help but be anything but excited man it's the best time of the year right around the corner let's go this is the game As you mentioned, Andy, the long sports drought of midwinter into spring and summer, that really doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. I follow some sports, but this this is the best time of the year coming up. I tell you, as more the more complicated my life gets as my children get older and they require me for more activities and I need to be more involved as a parent, and as my work life gets more complicated... The low-hanging fruit of anything aside from Michigan football and college football is the first thing to go. And so it's been refreshing, I think, both for myself and my family, and hopefully has bought me a little bit of grace coming into a season where I'm going to be really glued to my television, not just watching Michigan football, but all the other stories that are going around the college football season when, you know, is is Ohio State going to... Uh, go to a national championship is Georgia going to three-peat and what's going to happen in the last uh, the last year of the Pac-10 as we know it. I, there's just so many good storylines that it's going to be a 24-7 thing for me unless I'm absolutely indulged in something else. I, I did find a way to rationalize it though, which is what if you were a baseball fan that was just as passionate and fanatical as we are about the college football and our teams and the game you'd have to watch 162 games. We only have to watch 12 regular season games. So isn't it better? Uh, Why anybody would want to be that level of a baseball fan is beyond comprehension. But if you were, you'd be having to spend a lot more time at it than we do college football. I've definitely used that argument on the look on the bright side uh, to my wife when she says she's going to become a college football widow, I believe is the term that she used. And I say, this is one of the one of the sports with the fewest contests and it's even lower than professional football. You only lose me for a three hour period. And then she rebuffs me and say, no, I lose you for the entire Saturday. And I lose you for all the time that you're browsing the internet, looking for player updates and, you know, predictions and reading the latest stuff off the wire. And she says, I lose you to the podcast. And she, she went down like line by line to explain them. 
And I'm like, well, maybe it is a little bit more comparable to a, a, a larger sport. Well, if you're going to count all the time in between, that's not fair. Well, that's that's all she cares <laughs> about, right? Yeah. Like she, if if I'm invested in a game, at least she can put the kids in front of me and be like, watch the game with daddy. But right. if I'm sitting in front of the computer trying to crunch numbers or you know writing out talking points for the for our podcast, then that's a that, that might actually even be more frustrating for her because she knows the only game that. I'm unavailable to parents at all is the game. the game. And she, uh, for now at least, uh, takes the boys out of the house and leaves me alone so they don't have to learn any new and exotic words over a three-hour period. But I think the worm's probably starting to turn with my oldest son, Chase, and I think that maybe this year he's going to request to stay home and watch it with me, which would be a first. That's a great turning point when, you're, when your boys are at the point where they... Uh want to watch with you you won't want to watch it any other way right it'll and be the most fun they've been fans because i've dragged them into it and i've been able to yeah. dress them up in the jersey and I, I and i try to show them what's going on and they want to spend time with me but i think chase is starting to take a genuine interest in the sport now which is awesome and yeah I, I look forward to That's, actually being able to watch the game with him it's tremendously fun i don't have my daughter jessica there quite yet <laughs> she wants if, to watch. But. I think if you don't have her there quite yet, she's going to college in a year. I, I don't think in, in she's a month. going to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in a month. Yeah, I think you've uh, you've missed out on that opportunity. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe you we'll can. Uh, maybe maybe uh, with a little bit of extra free time that you're going to have being an empty nester, you can bring your wife into the fold and get her to you know be as diehard of a fan as you are. Do you we're think in that's negotiations. A <laughs> yeah, we're in negotiations now on uh, bringing her into the fold. I, being the difference between this year and last year for me is being semi-retired at this point and being an empty nester. This will be the first college football season since I was in high school, I guess, that I potentially could just sit and watch every game live. I mean, as we've discussed on the podcast before, with our day jobs and night jobs, weekend jobs, holiday jobs as ER physicians, uh, we don't have the luxury of watching every game live when you have to work every other weekend, that kind of thing. So I don't have to do that this year. First I, time ever. I can't imagine. I can't imagine trying to not having to worry about spoilers coming at you or, or colleagues who know how big of a fan you are hinting that they know the results of the game. That is probably one of the most difficult things about our profession is everybody that I know gets Saturdays off. And I, I don't have to juggle the schedule that you obviously are already doing because we schedule that far ahead. But, okay, I can work the weekend of the Youngstown State game because obviously who cares we're going to win that game, even though if I am working, I will be irritated when somebody shows up for some minor complaint when the game is oh, on and I just want to watch it. Absolutely. I mean, when the when the... When the uh, yearly schedule comes out for for the team, the first thing I look at are what are the games that I could possibly work during to fulfill my my need to uh, to um, work my required amount of weekends and Saturdays and be okay with not watching it live. And all the weekend requests, much to my wife's chagrin, are based off the games that I absolutely positively have to see live. And maybe we can get into that a little bit later on what I think are going to be the just the red letter days, aside from the obvious one at the end of the season um, for Michigan and Ohio State football. And you've got a you've got a big event coming up later this uh, later this season, aside from the game, right? Yes, I do. We'll be going. My boys and I are traveling to the Penn State game. To your point on 
October 21st, which we are both in agreement, is the best day of college football outside of the game. The best day. And in only, I I mean, I'm sure there's some other huge games. And then the other side of the coin, some brilliant uh, athletic director over in East Lansing decided to make the Michigan-Michigan State game, a game that where the rivalry has turned into kind of a little backyard, you know, house divided. We're all friends after this game to a really nasty rivalry where I I worry that it's going to reach a boiling point. Remember, we had the tunnel incident last year, which was a big dust up. And now they decided to schedule the game at night in East Lansing at Spartan Stadium. I, one, I think we're gonna we're gonna take them to the absolute woodshed, and I can only imagine how that plus a day full of tailgating plus all of the bitterness that's been going into the rivalry for the last decade or twenty years is going to end up. Uh, that'll be a great day of college football, right? And one of what maybe three games like you can schedule yourself to work any weekend you want if you pick a cupcake. That's all Michigan has except for. Two games. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Go, yeah and but you maybe can't put that throw on the, the Michigan State game in there. Right. Um, totally. And I, I remember looking. There were a couple other really great games that are going to fill the gap between Ohio State and the Michigan-Michigan State game. It's just going to be a fun time. I've mentioned this before, but I always pick one Michigan game where I get together with fellow alumni and friend of ours, Steve, to watch the game. But it always has to be a relatively low-stress game. Because when the stakes are high, I'm just not somebody to hang around. I'm not fun. I, I, I'm not, I, I, I can't just be a nice guy. So I picked the tomato can game or the game I expect to lose. And in times memorial during this podcast, back when Michigan was not a slam dunk to win any game, uh, I've picked. I miss those days. In, yeah, I bet you do. Picked incorrectly or close to incorrectly. And there have been some some nail biters against Illinois or yeah, Indiana. That was a tough one. That that I would watch with Steve. And I, gosh, I got to pick one where we're just going to take it to the house. So this is my prediction. It's it's Michigan State this year, which I've never felt. I've always felt like Sparty. That's kind of bold. With so a, it's bold. But with man. a uh, rivalry game on the road, even though, yes, Michigan State, I be shocked if they offer much resistance to any good team this year. I, I don't think. I mean, they've lost their star, their two-star wide receivers. There's questions at quarterback. Their offensive line's not going to be as good as it was. I don't think they're I, even rivalry. Throw out the record books, notwithstanding. I think it's going to be an absolute curb stomping. And uh, I'm willing to bet a backyard uh, barbecue with Steve that it is because if I have to watch Ohio State for three hours, and I think they will beat Penn State. And then go to a game where we're upset by Michigan State. I'm not going to be nice to Steve. Yeah, I just, I'm, not, I'm just not going to be able to bring <laughs> myself to do it. That's one of those weekends that could go horribly wrong. Could go horribly or, wrong. Or really, really well. I'm we'll still going to do it. We're going to smoke a brisket. We're going to get out there, have a few beers. Maybe our, our good friend and abandoned Wildcat football uh, fan, Justin, will come over and join us and adopt the Michigan program as his... his I, uh, don't do that, Justin. <laughs> don't adopt the Michigan program, no matter how much he's your not, he's not gonna, program is in dire straits. He's not going right to root for Ohio State. So. Over Michigan, he will. No, he wouldn't do <laughs> yeah. that to me. He wouldn't do that to Everybody me. in the world does. Let's get <laughs> let's get Justin on the podcast sometime this, uh, sometime this I, year and get his take. As yeah, a, maybe before Ohio State stumps Northwestern. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. 
I don't think Michigan's playing Northwestern this year. As our preseason podcast, we'll go through some preseason notes and predictions and discuss briefly the first couple of games. So let's start with the off-season, I guess, news. We don't really know what the news is yet, but might as well start with what Michigan fans affectionately call Burgergate. Oh, yeah. This is a witch hunt to the highest level. (laughs) And please ignore my conspiratorial... uh, a political uh, speech, but truly what this is the last gasp of an NCAA that is going from largely irrelevant to maybe non-existent in the next year or two. And I think they're just trying to plant their flag in a blue blood program to, in an attempt to reestablish their legitimacy because there is nothing, at least nothing that's hit the media so far that warrants sort of the the level of pursuit that they're coming after Harbaugh and the Michigan program. What do we know? We know that they made a couple small analyst violations where analysts came down on the field when they were only supposed to be um, reviewing tape um, in that potentially they interacted with uh, recruits or players when they shouldn't have. And then the big one, the one that always leads is, Jim Harbaugh bought a recruit or a couple recruits a round of burgers at the Brown Jug, which, by the way, isn't even that good of a place to eat food. And perhaps he or the program paid for it when he shouldn't have. Why is this even news? We had the NCAA turn a blind eye to to SEC boosters with bags of cash going buying houses and nice things for the families of recruits they wanted to go to their program. And it never got investigated. And now Jim Harbaugh buys a couple recruits a round of burgers that aren't even that good. And it's going, it, they won't even accept his four game suspension offer in 2023. I don't know, Reggie. I mean, I, I, I'd be interested in see what you're taking this as somebody who is, well, not unbiased, but not with a Michigan bias. The NCAA is a joke. Just, you know what else that was a joke, Andy? When, if you recall, Ohio State's players traded their own personal property that they own. So Harbaugh buys hamburgers that cost, what, five bucks. You know how much Ohio State gave those Ohio, those Ohio State players? Nothing. Zero. It wasn't five bucks. They were gold pants and trinkets that they were given and yes, Ohio State fans at the time were like, oh my God, you want a pair of gold pants for beating Michigan? You want to trade them in? But at the time, when you don't get enough money to live on as a, an athlete making millions of dollars for the university, anyway, I won't go down that whole road. We all know the argument. I think most of us are on the same page. But I recall the Michigan fan base using that as the example of Jim Tressel's corrupt. He's a cheater. He's a liar. And it sounds like what Harbaugh did was about the same thing. The infractions were relatively minor. And obviously, it's more than just a buying a hamburger or Mike McDonald apparently might be facing a one-year show cause penalty and maybe a couple of other assistant coaches might be facing suspension. They don't suspend four of the coaching staff for buying somebody a burger. The real story of it, supposedly, is that Harbaugh lied to the NCAA to their face, and now they won't accept their negotiated plea deal (laughs) to try to get four games, probably because my guess is Harbaugh will never 
acknowledge he's done anything. Even Paul Feinbaum is on Harbaugh's side on this, which is amazing because I don't think Feinbaum is a big Jim Harbaugh fan. No, absolutely not. And gosh, is that is that did I really think that Jim Trestle was uh was such a terrible person? The time seems just so long ago. I really <laughs> think I wished him the best. And I'll have you know sure. that that the NCAA didn't get rid of Jim Trestle. Ohio State did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ohio State suspended Trestle two games immediately. And then the NCAA found out about it, and he would have probably gotten five games, except the university fired him. Oh, what's Michigan doing to penalize Harbaugh for lying to the NCAA and obscuring the investigation? Oh, that's right. Nothing. Nothing. And as I should, they should circle the wagons. And that was probably the most shocking move by the athletic department at Ohio State, potentially of all times. You have Jim Tressel, who's... I mean, fantastic coach, revolutionized the program, changed college football as we knew it, and won a national championship with with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Why didn't they rally to his side and say, no, you're wrong? I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't compute. Well, because at the time, Trestle was wrong. He was wrong to lie about it. I just didn't think it was, I don't think it was a crime against humanity that rose to that level. Not saying they couldn't have defended or stuck it out, but he lied. He lied to the athletic director, I believe, and he lied to the university and to the NCAA. So at the time, but I, it's a t- I'm just saying at the time, you're going to find no solace among Ohio State fans. This is the typical hypocrisy of the Michigan program that wants to think they're somehow have moral superiority or superiority of life in general and being a Michigan man is all that. When all Ohio State fans and everybody else from the country ever says is, no, Michigan's just like everybody else. You guys have the same code of ethics and the same shady behaviors. And, and no matter how many times it's proven, amazingly, the Michigan fans retain the unbelievable ability to forget, forget that when it's convenient. But so, I, you know. I think it's funny. I don't think any of the violations were anything I would have thought twice about, honestly. I don't think it's that big a deal, but we'll see. I, I'm still skeptical as to anything big is going to come of it next year. And if it is, he'll probably bolt for the NFL anyway. I don't think he's bolting for the NFL. But I will tell you that as somebody who is, went into Michigan not being a hardly a sports fan at all and left absolutely drank the Kool-Aid, diehard fan, Something about singing the fight song over and over again. Just <laughs> if you look at the lyrics, like leaders in the, the best, leaders and best, champions of the West. We're not even in the West anymore, and they're sort of <laughs> well, the champions of the West. That that starts to wear on your ability to think skeptically, and then before you know it, you're just on board with the program. And I get it. And at the risk of sounding arrogant. Even when you break it down and objectively lay out the facts and compare apples to apples between what Trestle did and Jim Harbaugh did. No, screw it. (laughs) Circle the wagons around Harbaugh. He's great. I love him. He's a good guy. And so that's how powerful the psyche of of going to a program like Michigan as your alma mater is like it's. It's Michigan versus the world, and everybody's out to get us. Uh, and honestly, if the roles were reversed, I would want Ohio State to do the same thing. I I don't know if I could say I like the NCAA less than I like Michigan, but it might be close. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, they are, like you said, an ineffective organization. 
Well, back to say the least. I mean, back they used to used to say they had to defend the importance of the student athlete, which and amateurism, which they did extremely poorly by the very way. poorly. And now they don't even have to do that due to NIL and sort of the the pairs getting played somewhat appropriately for all the work they're giving to the university. What justify your existence? To quote Office Space, what would you say? you do here yeah and the answer is nothing but it'll take some time to to uh to deconstruct that bureaucracy i suspect at the same time not having any distraction this year is probably important because they've got a talent rich experienced returning veteran team that is as of this morning the number two team their highest ranking in the ap preseason poll since 1991 oh the hype is real and you called out one of my stats I was going to use. Yep, 1991. So they basically skip all of the Lloyd Carr year, the national championship year in 1997. The teams that we had that were excellent in, in 2006 and 2016, those were all teams where we were expected at the beginning of the season to not perform nearly as well. And now the weight of expectation from a national standpoint, looms heavy over Michigan fans' head. And we are not used to this situation. And from the other side of the table, Reggie, this is just a number two ranking at the beginning of the season. It's not just something that Ohio States are comfortable with. It's probably closer to the expectation. It's been the expectation for a while. And of course, we came in at number three. (laughs) So the funny thing is that we're coming in at number three, which means the AP thinks that Ohio State is a playoff team, right? They've got them in that first four-team position. We'll see because our schedule is pretty tough, and we got to go through number two on the road. So Right, and a repeat of last year where the loser of the game makes the playoff is extremely unlikely. It's very unlikely for Ohio State because, as we'll discuss, I think Ohio State is going to probably go into that game with a loss already. So a loss to Michigan knocks them out of the playoff, the Big Ten, not to mention winning, you know, losing the game. Yeah, but Michigan both hosts Ohio State, so a loss against Ohio State carries a little bit more weight, although Ohio State has showed that that's not necessarily as important. Um, But Michigan's strength of schedule if we lose at home to Ohio State, even if that's our only loss, I think the pundits are going to eat that up and they're going to see see they, these cupcake teams. Nobody tested them if they played in Texas or Oregon or you know somebody in the preseason. They'd have a two loss and we wouldn't even be talking about whether they should backdoor into the playoffs. Yeah, and you never know. Is there going to be a, a TCU this year or is USC going to not blow the Pac-12 championship game? A lot of pieces had to fall in place for Ohio State to get into the playoff with a loss to to Michigan last year. And it all worked out for it, you. This year, this year I could see it if it's a close game on the road and we have beaten Penn State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin throughout the year, and if, if we've looked good doing it, it could happen. I wouldn't count on it, though. But let's, let's jump into predictions for this year. Let's start, Andy, with the tell me who are Michigan's true freshmen that you think could make an impact this year? You know, it was hard to scrape the rock. True freshmen or transfers. Okay. New players to the program. Oh, this is not the uh, this is not the structure I was given. So I will go exclusive (laughs) exclusively. Either way, you can go either way. Exclusively with true freshmen um, because I I that's the way I researched it and and honestly. With all of the returning starters and the depth that we have, I and this is a good thing. 
I don't think we're going to be playing a ton of new true freshman talent um, on the field except during garbage time. But if you put a gun to my head and made me pick the people that are really going to to make a name for themselves in their first year of Michigan, the first is going to be Cole Cabana. Cole Cabana's a running back who's definitely who is obviously going to be a little bit buried in the depth chart. Uh, because of how strong the running back room is. But C.J. Stokes and in Dunlap last year did not show that they were necessarily the go-to backups uh, for our two-star running backs. And so I think Cole Cabana coming in as a true freshman is going to get some touches. When it's time to put Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards in the barn to make sure they're healthy for the next game. I see it. It's probably they're gonna they're gonna give Stokes and Dunlap uh, you know some a chance to show that they've improved in the offseason. But I think this is a real opportunity for Cole Cabana to establish himself as the third option and probably see a lot of time um, in the second half of football games. Next one is Samaj Morgan. Michigan does not have a star wide receiver for a team that is ranked second going into the season. Usually there's a clear go-to person. And I think it's gonna be a mix between having Edwards run wheel routes and using our tight ends a lot. But if I had to pick one wide receiver that I think is going to shine, I think it's going to be Samaj Morgan as a true freshman. And the last one is Eno Etta, the true freshman that we're bringing in at edge. And that's partially because Michigan's defensive scheme always tries to put in an element of pressure. And I think he can make a quick impact if we can get him over on edge during some of the the pressure plays and the blitz packages I think he'll step in and make a lot of good plays as a true freshman so those are my picks for the true freshmen it's not necessarily the transfers coming into the program well the transfers I would assume are all offensive linemen no that's not true Ernest Hausman as far as transfers uh, I think will have the biggest impact for Michigan uh I've I have some other one I think Hausman will, will have a big impact but do you want me to touch on the transfers now? Sure, or do who you do you want... got for transfers? Because I just have a I have a combined list. Yeah, so A.J. Barnard is going to be our tight end in, coming over as a graduate transfer, I think, from Indiana. And Colson Loveland's going to be the guy at tight end, but Michigan loves using the tight end. And I think he's going to have a lot of pass protection responsibilities, but he's going to get a lot of opportunities to make big plays as well just because of how much we use it. Drake Nugent filling in uh, the center spot, which is vacated in the two-time Joe Moore uh, award-winning offensive line, I think is going to be huge. And his, his intelligence and his knowledge that he's accumulated in his years at Stanford, I think are super important for the position at center, especially because you have to be able to read defenses, see what's coming, hurry up the plays. Um, and I think he'll do real well. And then... Um, Maybe not necessarily a transfer, but somebody who I think is going to um, have a big season is going to be Kian Saab, who is likely going to get a lot of time at strong safety. He came in as a strong four-star, and we didn't see a lot of him um, as a, a true freshman last year, which was really surprising to me because I think we needed a little bit of extra help um, in the backfield. And... With Will Johnson and Mike Sander still, I think, being our corners for the year, I think he and Saab's going to fill a big hole at strong safety. For Ohio State, I think Carnell Tate at wide receiver will probably be an impact player. I, I would say Carnell Tate or Brandon Ennis, but I'm going to go with Carnell Tate this year. I think 
because of Mecca Buka, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr., Xavier Johnson. Uh, it's going to be hard for both of them to get a lot of touches, except, like you said, we certainly have some games where you should see some minutes and mop-up time. So I'm going to go with Carnell Tate. I'm going to go with the transfer, Jahad Carter, who came over from Syracuse at safety. I think we needed to shore up the secondary, and I think he will be an impact player on defense. The third player I'm not completely sure about yet, so I'm going to go with Jimmy Simmons on the offensive line, but I do not even know if he's going to win a starting tackle spot. If he does, obviously, you can't be a starting tackle <laughs> and not be an impact player. Well, for, for better or worse, you're either going to get burned, give up sacks, not be able to run block effectively and, and let the offense sputter, or you're going to be integral part of another top five offense. So, And if it's not him, I think it could be Taiwan Malone on the defensive line, but I'm going to go with Jimmy Simmons for now. Let's go to uh, returning players who will break out this year. I'll start this with from Ohio State. And this is what gives me hope this year. I think the three players who will break out this year are going to be Sonny Styles, C.J. Hicks, and Jack Sawyer. Jack Sawyer's in his third year. Is it really a breakout? I, I, I include him as a breakout player because he was played out of position last year. They had the Jack position. He wasn't a true hand-down defensive end, which I think is his natural spot. I expect him to be productive in a way this year that will qualify as a breakout compared to his use over the last two years. And Sonny Styles and C.J. Hicks, two five-star guys with all the talent in the world. I'm not quite as sure about C.J. Hicks only because he's got Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg playing ahead of him. And if we've got two linebackers on the field most of the time, I'm not sure how many snaps he's going to get. But I think his talent and athletic ability will put him on the field in more situations than not by the end of the season. And Sonny Styles, same thing. He's going to play. He's going to play somewhere. He's got to. He's way too talented. Hasn't Jack Sawyer been a starter for like two years? Yeah, it's his third year in the program. But uh, And it's not like he's played poorly or you know not lived up to the hype. But I think... Like I said, I think he was a bit out of position last year and was not put in the... I don't think the defensive scheme played to his talents last year. I hope that it will this year. And the fact that all three of the players that I mentioned are on defense makes me think that the defense is going to be better. It has to be better this year because I don't think the offense is going to be quite as good. But we'll talk about that as we go on. Who? What returning players from Michigan do you think are going to kind of break out yeah, so I, I mentioned Ken Saab that potentially I should have kept for this segment, um, but I think he's going to have a big year just because of the need we're going to have at safety, and that being the really the one area between corner and safety, our secondary coverage, where I think that we have even the slightest bit of weakness. So I think he's going to play a super important part. The other one I would say is I'm going to go out on a line and say that Davis Warren, the the walk-on junior, is going to be our backup quarterback after we shelf J.J. McCarthy in games. And they say that not because I, I don't think that Jaden Tenegal is going to you know uh, make a lot of important contributions or Alex Orgy, but if you've watched Davis Warren and the few times he's got out there, that guy, one, I think reads defenses really well, and he's got a cannon for an arm, too just makes you wonder how did he not get 
you know, brought in, recruited by a team? And how did he just walk on to Michigan? Alex Orgy, I think, is going to be used similar to the Wildcat package, goal line stuff. So I don't think he's going to make a huge thing. But I'm telling you, you know, expect to see Davis Warren starting early third quarter and blowout games when we have to keep J.J. McCarthy safe for the sake of the program. My last one is going to be Rayshon Benny, who has been, you know, a, a regular backup, you know, has seen some limited time on the field at defensive tackle. But with some of the departures that we've had on defense and him needing to step up with Mason Graham, I expect him to take a lot more of an active role uh, when he comes in as defensive tackle or three tech and make a very big impact on the defensive scheme for the program. I think those are solid choices. How concerned are you about what what do you think the talent drop off is, though, between McCarthy and the rest of the quarterback room. Ma- massive, massive. massive and, right? and so we've talked about, you know, uh, a, a stat that they use in baseball all the time about wins over wins above replacement. Right. And it basically says if a baseball player um, has to be replaced by the next best baseball player in the roster by an average player, how many games are you going to lose? So if I look at the the different positions and say, what is our biggest Wins above replacement. It's going to be J.J. McCarthy. If he goes out, that's that's costing us real games. And I, I don't know if he was out for the year. I think the games that would cost you would be Penn State and Ohio State. There's nobody else they're going to lose to. Uh, they would just pound. <laughs> they're going to pound the ball with the running game more maybe than they will be opening it up under McCarthy this year. But I mean, there's no doubt he is the key to... He's the single most important player on the team. If they lose him, they're their aspirations for the season will be very hard to accomplish. No Absolutely. I mean, even if we lose Blake Corum, who I think is going to be the, the brightest star on our offense, you know, you bring in Donovan Edwards and he showed last year that he's got he's gonna, everything and potentially more as far as he's going to revolutionize talent. the game of football. Andy, <laughs> just ask him. Yes. He'll tell you. I lo- he's truly a Michigan man. He is a Michigan he man. Belie- he believes in himself, and that's an yeah. important attribute to have. Well, maybe these three guys will be the ones in the discussion. Does Michigan have a Heisman finalist this year? You know, it's funny because I think the answer is no, but it's not because we lack Heisman talent. I think J.J. McCarthy, if he was on a team that didn't have the weapons that we have at running back and was on a team that really released him and needed just to win every game and let him use his legs and let him sling it, I think could be a Heisman contender. I think Blake Corum, if he was the absolute bell cow running back and there was nobody below him and we didn't have a, you know, a, a, a potential pass threat or uh, run option threat in J.J. McCarthy, I think he could be a Heisman contender because on another team, I think he could put up gaudy numbers. And even... Donovan Edwards, if he was playing for a team where he was a guy, I think would have a better chance. But with the three of them together, I think they nullified the most important thing, which is to put a lot of a lot of high numbers up there and a lot of highlight real big plays. And I think they're just going to share the spotlight too much for any one person to be a standout. I th- I'm going to go out and say Michigan does have a Heisman finalist this year. And? Which one of the three? Uh, well, that's a different question, I guess. But I'm going to roll with Donovan Edwards. I just have a feeling, while I don't think he's going to revolutionize the game of football, and he'll be doing things that other backs have done. (laughs) I do think he's a weapon out of the backfield. He was a weapon out of the backfield last year before he was a weapon in the backfield. 
And then he became both. And I just think this, this is his year. I think uh, you can't call him a breakout player, but he might explode this year. And like you said, I don't know that they're going to pass the ball enough to get McCarthy the numbers he needs to get into that. But if look, Michigan's a number two preseason team. They're expected to be a playoff team. Last year, three of the four playoff teams had a Heisman finalist, except Michigan, which I think had Blake Corum been healthy for the Ohio State game, and had he gotten the stats that Donovan Edwards did against Ohio State, he would have been in he would have been at the Heisman ceremony. If you're gonna say Heisman finalist, I'm gonna give you a dark horse Michigan Heisman finalist candidate. Will Johnson. I think even with the bias against defensive players, I think that guy's going to make plays. Do you think, I think he's going to go play any offense the way Charles Woodson did? I don't know. Probably not because I think we're just so stacked on offense and I'm not sure there's going to be much in the way of, you know, uh, designing plays for him. That would certainly rise, raise his stock quite a bit in the Heisman, in the Heisman conversation. But even if that didn't happen, I think he's going to make some insane plays based on his athleticism and his ability to to really hawk the ball. All right. Well, I'm going to go now to whether Ohio State has a Heisman finalist. I'm going to say, yes, they do. And I don't know who it is. <laughs> uh, I am going to uh, I'm going to go with the most obvious candidate, which would be Marvin Harrison Jr. It's got now be. for that to happen. That would probably be a really good sign because that means our offensive line must have kind of held up pretty well. It means Kyle McCord probably threw the ball, or Devin Brown probably threw the ball. By the way, I do expect it to be Kyle McCord at least to start the season. But I think it means the quarterback probably threw the ball pretty well. And he's got the name recognition and the hype in the game. And and I certainly expect him to win the Blitnikoff this year. <laughs> you never know, though. I mean, you know, he gets hurt. He, like, like for example, some random cheap shot that could be called targeting that was called targeting on the field could happen that could be overturned. And so even though it's not technically a penalty, he loses time that would have made the difference between winning a national championship, not just completely just arbitrary yeah, scenario. Just speculation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is the obvious choice for, uh, for Ohio State. And I think, I agree, I think Ohio State will bring someone, and potentially it's going to be somebody that we don't expect. But when has Ohio State not sent somebody to New York? It's it's hard. Another weird metric that I can't necessarily think of. It's got to be a year since there's only five candidates who go. But when I look back, I'm, I can't tell you what year that was. Yeah, it's been a few years. I mean, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud, two-time Justin Fields finalist. Right. Haskins finalist, so... But don't I, I think that you're going to suffer from success and you say he's going to win the Bolitnikov. But remember, you had talented wide receivers, the, the most talented wide receiver core in the game just recently, and none of them got nominated for the Bolitnikov. Yeah, well, that's the problem of splitting, you know, when they each only get a thousand yards. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently sounds, that's not good enough. It to sounds be, uh, terrible. But finalist. I think I think looking at sort of the the division of talent, I agree. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be even a cut above the rest, which yeah. is terrifying, terrifying to say, because I think once again, Ohio state has the best wide receiving room in the country. Let's hope they, they throw up the numbers to get them there. 
Uh, let's talk about the rules changes. There were a couple of key rules changes. What do you think of, what are, what are the most impactful rules changes for this year? Yeah, so, I mean, there's always a, a grip of rules changes and most of them don't really impact the game that much. But the two that really stand out to me this year and the one that I really think changes the whole landscape of college football is the fact that unless you're in the last two minutes of the half or the end of the game, first down doesn't stop the clock anymore, which it just hurts my soul. And I can't, I can't say any objective reason it should be one way or the other, but it's just the way I grew up with college football and the, the watching the hurry up offense and knowing they had to set the chains before the clock started. I don't want it to be any other way. No, I like that because it's not time that can be utilized, right? The ball is not ready for play. So I loved that about the college game, that the ball's not ready for play, so you shouldn't run that time off the clock. What I hate about it, and I think maybe we talked about this in the spring, it's just, why not reduce the number of advertisements? If you want to shorten the game, the game isn't too long. Like, believe it or not, 60 minutes is still 60 minutes of game time. So you're just trying to make the game go by faster, get fewer plays in, so you can have just as many or more ads. The games will be a little bit shorter, but I'm sure it's something we'll get used to, but I don't like that one at all. The other the other change that we talked about before, uh, the no consecutive timeouts, I'm fine with that. I, I that, that is something that slows down the game unnecessarily. It's almost childish, in my opinion. You're going to ice the kicker or... It, it it's absolutely childish and I'll miss it far less than I do stopping the clock after first down. Yeah. But I, it was one of those childish things. I was always in the back pocket of the coaches that I kind of would smirk or just be like, Oh, look at this jerk, you know, deciding if he's going to use his third or second timeout to, to play mind games with the kicker. There have been a couple instances of consecutive timeouts to really rub a victory in, uh, in the other opposing team's face. And I believe that Jim Harbaugh did it to, Oh, who was at Rutgers at the time, but they didn't really see eye to eye. And, you know, we smashed Rutgers. It wasn't the game where Cade McNamara had a impressive comeback, but we smacked Rutgers. And the last 30 seconds, Jim Harbaugh used all three timeouts just to really savor the victory. So it's, it's childish. That's a good example. Cause if there's a childish classless movie, you can ah, almost ah, certainly find a Jim Harbaugh example. I to, definitely to teed that. I teed that one up. You walked you. into that. Yep, I walked into <laughs> that one. All right. Actually, before we get into this year's Big Ten schedule and predictions, let's talk about how, since we last spoke, the Big Ten is now larger with the addition of the University of Washington, whom we've spoken about on the podcast, and the University of Oregon Ducks. Yeah, short of uh, the Urban Meyer you know, scandal waiting for the, the, the white smoke to come out of... Uh, the Woody Athletic Center when he was uh, when he was clearly in trouble and that was August. This has been a a more consequential summertime for yeah, college really football has. than I can remember. The pack yeah. the pack ten, pack eight, pack four has pack four. has dissolved in front of our very eyes, and that's a that's a program with over a hundred years of tradition. And for you and I out here on the West Coast, has been a staple a staple of college football and and for the rest of college football it doesn't hold the same sort of water as big 10 or the sec and it is often joked you know pack 10 after dark when it's you know one o'clock in the morning and you're watching and you're watching ucla versus versus stanford or whatever just to just to 
you know, put the shine on what is otherwise a really long <laughs> right. college football day. Um, but it, it's it's fallen apart, and it started with, uh, you know, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, Coach Prime, you know, bolting with the buffs to the back to the Big 12, um, and then the, the cards kept falling. I will tell you, as a Big 10 fan living in the Pacific Northwest, and for you, you and I might be the only college football yeah. <laughs> fans who feel okay about this because it serves our personal interests very well. Well, so I'm a traditionalist, I, and I have to say the whole, all the cliches about when you get older, you're less resistant to change. I find myself guilty of more and more of them every day. <laughs> like, there's no doubt. I miss the tradition. My whole life, it was win the Big Ten, play the Pac-10. Well, when I was a wee child, the Pac-8 and Pac-10, Pac-12, champ, the Rose Bowl was everything. But I have been very grateful for the changes to go to the BCS era and be able to match number one versus number two. Ohio State wouldn't have its 2002 national championship without that change. Then the four-team playoff came around. Ohio State would not have its 2014 national championship without that change. So I get it. After USC and UCLA bolted for the Big Ten, I think the writing was on the wall. Like, I don't know that there's enough star power left. But the two premier programs that were left were Washington and Oregon. And so, I, yeah, I was kind of, I've kind of been hoping since, if it's up to me, I'd have left it as it is, right? But if the Pac-12 is going to dissolve, I wanted Washington and Oregon. We, you and I, are guaranteed that our teams will be out here in our neighborhood maybe every other year every two years certainly every three years one of them we each of our teams should be out here to play either at oregon or at washington minimum of every three years yeah and as someone who has begged in futile to be allowed to fly back for a michigan game every year uh with my life getting more complicated i am thrilled at the idea of not having to wait till 2027 for the makeup michigan Washington game to have the Wolverines 30 minutes away from us or a five hour drive down to Eugene, which I've never visited, by the way. I, I would either. love to check I out I was their planning to, Ohio State was supposed to play there and the pandemic wiped it out. Ohio State was scheduled to play Washington next year. I've been waiting since it was scheduled for several years. So excited. Next year it's here. And then it was canceled in this consequential summer, as you mentioned. So now, you know, we're still waiting to see how they revamp the 2024 schedule, but I'm hoping it means Ohio State's out here to play one of these schools next year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're going to they're going to have to balance it between, you know, games that are going to be huge eyeball drawers like USC versus Michigan or Ohio State or, you know, to a lesser extent UCLA um and playing the other teams like USC and and Oregon versus Penn State. I mean, the matchups are just going to be Huge. This is the stuff that you used to only be able to look for in the postseason or if there was a preseason game that was set 10 years in advance. And now it's just going to be a regular occurrence in the Big Ten. So even though I'm biased, even though I live in the Pacific Northwest, I'm going to push back a little bit on the doomerism that a lot of the college football fans have been pushing around. And this is the end of college football as we know it. And, you know, the traditions are gone and it's all about money and, you know, the super... The super conferences are going to ruin it for X, Y, and Z. And yes, there will be downside. Even if you're not a Michigan fan, and I'd say if you're anybody but a, an Oregon State or a Washington State fan, 
it's going to be less negatively impactful than you think it's going to be. For Oregon yeah, State and Washington we'll State, I think it's going to be absolutely terrible. I, I really feel bad, actually. You know, uh, you can't live in Washington State as long as I've been here since 1998. Wazoo is a program that has some really good teams. They're fun to watch at times. Uh, you know, of course, I hope the Apple Cup doesn't go away. It would be sad to me. I would I would never, ever, not like Ohio State, Michigan is obviously not is a, a cut above in terms of it's, rivalries. It's like four cuts above. <laughs> like so four cuts above. But... For a team to lose its rival of a century or so is pretty heartbreaking. And, you know, I feel like Oregon State and Washington State are like the last two kids picked for dodgeball. Like, clearly, like nobody says, even Stanford and Cal have already at least gotten some discussion of joining the ACC, which makes no sense whatsoever. I got to say, after Texas and Oklahoma bolted the Big 12 to go to the SEC, if you'd asked me at that moment, the, either the Pac-12 or the Big 12 is going to collapse, I would have thought, how does the Big 12 survive? And now the Big 12 is now adding four teams from the Pac-12. I mean, like, I, I would have thought it'd be the other way. I thought the Pac-12 would have had far more cachet than the Big 12 did, but well, they they pulled it off. Yeah, I think the, the, the idea that teams had to be regionally approximate to each other really went away over the last five years. And you're like, all right, Texas to the SEC kind of – you know, nearby, but when when USC and UCLA join the Big Ten, there's no it's this there's no more regional affiliation with the conferences anymore. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, well, who has the least amount of viewership out of all of these programs? And it's it's the Pac-10. I mean, I'm gonna say it. Football is not nearly as big out here. College football is not nearly as big out here as it is in definitely SEC country. Definitely the Big Ten, definitely Texas, and you know a lot of the states in between that as well. Maybe not. Maybe it's comparable to sort of the ACC East Coast schools, but I, I mean, yeah. Hey, but for Washington and Oregon, when those teams are good, the fan base out here is as rabid as. I mean, we, we've talked about it on the show before. Husky Stadium is a really cool venue, and they're supposed to, they're a top ten preseason team this year. Husky Stadium is a rocking place to go, and the, the team is doing well. I mean, when, it's an yeah. awesome experience. Two things. You're talking to two college football fans, and so we're, we're coming from a little bit of bias about how awesome it is. And you said the most important words, when they're good. And so they're not, they're not perennial teams, and they definitely have significant down periods. And so if those are you know combined with USC and then the ones that bubble up from UCLA and Oregon State and Washington State occasionally get – a good team and make a run. I could see how the pack 10, 12, eight, four in retro, in <laughs> retrospect, in retrospect drew the short straw and is now relegated to nothingness. The, the funny thing is looking at the AP rankings this morning, the pack 12 has five of the top 16 teams. You usually see that in the big 10 in the sec. And that's about it. And they're going to be the quarterback the conference. Pac-12 it's has funny. five of the top sixteen, including Oregon State. They're going <laughs> to they're going to have a lot of a lot of great games and a lot of drama this year, which is good. Maybe this is the yeah, send off the send off they deserve, you know, before things drastically change. But then the other big change is we're going from a 
four-team playoff to a 12-team playoff after this year. So after this year, we've got the SEC will now have Texas and Oklahoma. The Big Ten will now be the Big 18. I don't know if they're ever going to change the name. but we're, They uh, did change the name. We're big, man. We're I big. Mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the traditionalists who have held on to calling it the Big Ten, but we're not really yeah, the Big Ten anymore. We're the big. We're the big conference. Just, and maybe it's more... Maybe dumber. Maybe, but. Well, maybe, maybe it's more <laughs> fitting now that we have umpteen we're the million. the Big 1-8. Uh, <laughs> but million teams. you know we won't have divisions i don't think next year we'll have the top two teams which i gotta say it's going to be a little bit hard to are you really able to determine 18 who's the best of 18 teams when you're not going to play more than half the conference but so we'll figure it out yeah let's talk about how that hurts the thing that the game the yeah. game yeah you talk about tradition the game and this is where i deviate a little bit towards my cautiously optimistic stance on consolidation and cash rules, everything around me is that the game after this year may not carry nearly as much significance. And certainly if Michigan and Ohio state are the one and two teams going into the game and that there's a gap between us, because then you're going to talk about a rematch the very next weekend. And, and the chance that if we're both in the top, 10 in the country going into the game we probably are both going to be in the playoffs see in the playoffs look last year was a little bit of an eye-opener as i saw how i felt about it in real time for the first time after another crushing defeat like at home with everything on the line and watching michigan hoist the big 10 championship trophy again it's it was devastating but then they get into the playoff and they're a missed bad call or a missed kick or whatever you want to look at it away from a national championship potentially. So how would I have felt if, uh, if we had won the national championship, lost the mission? I felt pretty dang good. would have been fine. I would have lived through it and been quite happy to have another natty. And it'll, it'll make us more like the Red Sox, Yankees, Duke, North Carolina, who play twice a year in the regular season. And then maybe they battle it out for the ACC championship and who does better in the tournament. But that's what has, that's why the Ohio state Michigan rivalry has stood above every other sports rivalry in the United States by far. Cause it has meant everything And next starting next year. Like you said, it won't quite be as crucial. I will tell you as a Michigan fan coming out of the dark ages of Michigan football, the, even in the age of the college football playoff, the Ohio state game, always meant a lot because it was our last chance at a season that was probably already over. And so I carried that over to this period where it just, it seems it is still the most important thing for me. And and now I'm looking down the barrel of a potential national championship year for the Wolverines. And I'm still going to say, I think the Ohio state game is, is bigger to me. I would rather, I would rather, beat Ohio State for three years in a row, which I can't re- recall the last time that happened. We'll have to, we'll have to look Early at. 90s. Early 90s. Probably the last time Michigan was... It was, it was ranked second. Ranked oh, second. That, was, uh, that was Desmond Howard versus Kirk Street years then, right? Yeah, like the early 90s. Yeah, because they won four in a row, right? Yeah. 80, uh, 88, 9, 90, 91. 91 and then was they tied. 91 was the post. And then they won again. Yeah. In 93. Ah, Good good times that I wasn't around for as a Michigan fan. But the point being is it's still 
extremely important for me to beat Ohio State. And it's obviously it's going to stay that way for for both of our fan bases and for both of us, regardless of what happens to the rivalry. I will say unless they change the 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 place on the schedule that the game goes, if Michigan's playing Ohio State second second, you know, conference game of the year, it's going to be really hard to to drag this podcast through yeah. the, the last 75 percent when the game's already over. All right, Andy, it's time to move into the the crux of the whole thing. In our post-spring podcast, we both predicted Michigan enter the game at 11-0 and OSU to enter at 10-1. Are you sticking with that? Yes. I am as well. So who wins the game? I think this is going to be the first time since maybe the inaugural year of our podcast that I'm going to say Michigan wins this definitively another double digit win against the Buckeyes where it's comfortable going into the last five minutes of the game. I can see it. I, I just can't do it. I'm rolling with Ohio state winning the game in 2021. I mentioned that while I thought Ohio state was going to win, I thought that was Michigan's best chance because their 2019 recruiting class is the only class of the Harbaugh era where they had a higher rated recruiting class. And that class was going into its junior season, which I think is the, that's the crux. That's when your recruits start paying off. Well, this year's junior classes are the 2021 classes. Ohio State's was ranked second while Michigan's was 13th. Last year, OSU was fourth while Michigan was whatever they were, top 15 again, top 10 maybe. Um, so, I just think this the the defensive scheme has to improve to the point I think the offense takes a little step back this year compared to the last few years. I'm not sure that either of our quarterbacks is Justin Fields or CJ Stroud. The offensive line we lost the, the first offensive lineman off the board in the NFL draft was our left tackle. Our right tackle was also a huge man who was pretty good. For all the positions that we've recruited really well, offensive line the last few years hasn't been one of them. So I am skeptical, and I, I can see your point, Andy. I know it could happen. I am preparing myself, <laughs> but I'm going to say now, I think the defensive improvement more than counteracts the whatever offensive, because I don't think the offense is going to drop off a map or anything. They're going to be very good, but I'm rolling with Ohio State in the game. I think it's funny. You you took all the points that I was about to come back at you with when you said <laughs> Ohio State. You have a new untested quarterback and a quarterback battle that isn't even yet decided. And so the axiom often goes when you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. You have an offensive line that lost two huge NFL picks and is going to be as untested as they have ever been protecting a new quarterback who's probably going to need a little bit more time than usual to make a decision. You have a defense which, although scattered with talent, has never been able to gel together as far as scheme goes or play calling goes at the most crucial moments. And on the other side of the line of scrimmage, you have a Michigan team that is more talented than I have ever seen since I've started watching Michigan football, and they're playing the game in Ann Arbor. I mean, I... But I look player by player, and I think, but Ohio State has the more talented player at more positions than Michigan is the most talented player. And if player. it was a one-on-one, if yeah. it was a one-on-one game, I would tell you that's a great argument. But you're playing, you're playing eleven men on the field at any time, 
And I, it, I just haven't, I haven't seen it. And with the departures that Ohio State has to deal with, really with the lack of departures. I mean, Michigan held on to everybody we needed to hold on to they did. to get this sort of hype coming into the season. I'm going to have to see some stuff on tape before I think that we're going to lose to Ohio State. But right now, I, I think this is the most confident I've felt in I don't, years, which probably yeah, means we're going to we're going to blow it early. <laughs> it's it's not undeserved or unreasonable. I mean, right. your optimism is very reasonable. There's a reason Michigan's number two, but then I think, yeah, but I have a lot of questions. I think Ohio State has a lot of questions, but we are third, you know, or fourth in the other poll. I think uh, we're expected to be good, but but it's almost always true without an unproven, you know, with an unproven quarterback. Who knows what you're going to get? I think I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of answers to the questions that Ohio State has, right? Like, what's what's the quarterback situation going to look like? I don't know. They both seem really talented, right? Like, what's defense going to look like this year? There's a lot of talent over there, and Jim Knowles is no dummy. So there's answers to the questions, but there's still much more, many more questions than there are for Michigan. Michigan's yeah. question is, are we going to be better at secondary than, you know, the potential talent gap that we have compared to every other position on the roster that is one singular question michigan usually comes in with 20 at the beginning of the season yeah michigan rolls i think i think we're we're beating ohio state and and beyond well uh, i mean michigan has done well in the transfer portal too they have filled some key pieces you're right about players coming back michigan's offensive line could have been devastated this year instead they held on to those guys and added some key pieces in the transfer portal. So I don't know. I think they're going to make another run at three straight <laughs> Joe Moore awards, which will not be good because if they win it, it's obviously because they've won the Big Ten, probably beating Ohio State again. So we'll see how we'll see how the year. I just think about the those juniors. Well, and for Michigan, it's the seniors too. They do have seniors. Some of those 2019 guys are still around too. So you do have to still factor in the fifth-year seniors, and I mean, Michigan's going to lose a ton next year, but so will Ohio State. It's just that ours will be third-year guys leaving years ago. All your fifth-year guys will be leaving. Yeah, it, it's funny because you say that like it's an insult, but... No, it's uh, it's too... I've made this point many times, especially positions like offensive line, defensive line, two more years in the weight room, two more years of development, even for quarterbacks, the extra time, reading defenses. You know, the, the main reason, I mean... Uh, McCarthy and Kyle McCord were like 1A and 1B for those programs when they were recruited. But the difference is McCarthy's got two years of playing time and McCord has one start. Right. When CJ Stroud was injured against Akron. So (laughs) that's a, there's no doubt that they're going to have to step up. So I assume that you obviously think Michigan wins the big 10 because you got them going 12 and 0. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I my hope is that the the conference realignment changes and that we can finally finally put the Big Ten West out of its misery um, because it it really hasn't been a challenge. I mean, short of short of Wisconsin making a run, which they sometimes do, it's it's a there's a real big drop off between the top three in the Big Ten East and and everybody else. And so this is an opportunity to add a little bit more parity. But yeah, Michigan. Or even if Ohio State wins the Big Ten championship, or even if Penn State, you know, goes dark horse mode and, and wins the or, or wins the East, I think they everyone every single team would roll the the contender from the West. Probably we'll see a little. We'll get a little glimpse of that when Ohio State plays at Wisconsin the week after we play Penn State. 
Man. That game is set up for us to lose. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But so obviously we both have our teams winning the game, which means winning the East, which means winning the Big Ten, which means making the playoff. So, I I mean, what more could you ask for going into a season than than the excitement and anticipation and and answering these questions and watching these teams play? So, who do you think wins the national championship this year? God, I mean, I will tell you, let me let me do a lot of emotional hedging here. If Michigan beats Ohio State, the season's a success. It'll be a dark day when I don't feel that way. And you smack me when I when I say anything but. That being said, I see Michigan giving Georgia a real run for their money, but losing. I, I, you think, I think Georgia wins it again? Oh, yeah. I mean, Brock Bowers, that guy is a one-man wrecking crew. The, probably the greatest tight end I've ever watched play college football and there there there's just not enough talent loss for me to be convinced that they're not going to come in and maybe they get a loss you know in, in the bloodbath of the sec but there's the culture is in place kirby smart is extremely good at what he does and i don't think they lost enough to suggest that they're not going to do what they've done the last two years in a row and i so i think that's a bit of a dynasty that they're building I do think that Michigan's closed the gap in talent going into it. And I and I do think if Michigan's lucky enough to make the national championship, it's not a complete it's not a complete blowout like it was two years ago when we played them in the first round. But I I I can't see anybody but Georgia winning this whole thing. I'm going with Alabama. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm going with history basically. Yes, Georgia's rolling. Since the AP era started in 1936, no one has won three straight college football national championships. Nobody. I don't see how Georgia loses its starting quarterback and a bunch of other key players, even though, yes, they recruited a high level. But you know who else recruits at a really, really high level? <laughs> Alabama. I think yeah. they signed like nine five stars in this year's class that's coming in. But they have an unproven quarterback, too, so... I don't know. I, I could see it being. I wanted. To, I was tempted to say that the winner of the game wins the national championship. Meaning, if Michigan wins the game, they probably win the national championship this year. And same, if Ohio State gets to that point and wins, beats Michigan, then obviously some of the questions have been answered favorably. And I could see us making another. We were so close last year, but the defense has held us back since 2019. I mean, the 2020 National Championship game, the defense blew it. And then the last two years, the defense has been way subpar. 2019 was the last good defense we had, and we should have played LSU for the National Championship, except for that Clemson game. Wow, man, there's just so many should have in, in our conversations about Ohio State. Um, yeah, I, for some reason, I, I feel like Ohio State winning the game is a lot more of a of a boost in their likelihood to win the national championship than Michigan winning the game. And I don't, maybe that's just PTSD and the idea of trying to get over a mental block because I don't know, Michigan beat Ohio state soundly the last two years. And we kind of crapped the bed both times in the, in the, uh, in the playoffs, I guess two years ago, nobody was beating Georgia, but man, that TCU game, I had a friend over, I was so confident that we would be able to win comfortably and he did not have a good time. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> Last year? Uh, Michigan, TCU? Against TCU, yeah. 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 No, because yeah. I was like, this is our you know, tune-up game for the national championship. And I just hope it's not against Ohio State. Well, that's the one thing that makes gives me hope. Because why wasn't it 
mostly because of J.J. McCarthy's mental mistakes. Yeah. And so is he going to take the next step and not make those this year? No. Why why, why was it? It was because Blake Corum wasn't, wasn't healthy anymore. And J.J. McCarthy had to have it put on him to make the right call. And he, the guy didn't get to throw the ball the entire year. He didn't get to, you know, read those defenses and throw on the move. So, of course, he's going to make mistakes. He's had another year to grow. We have more running options coming in. I don't I don't think that should give you a lot of hope, to be honest. I don't I don't I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to, I, I will say. Part of the reason I don't know how much hope to have is because Michigan has developed players really well. They've developed their. Uh, for example, I think Ohio State's offensive line recruiting has been on par with Michigan's in terms of. Uh, player ratings if you go just by the recruiting ratings we've got some highly rated guys but and we we've had a good offensive line the last few years but this year we'll see because we've got one five-star guy and then we've got guys that were solid recruits but Michigan has proven they have the ability to coach these guys up and get Joe Moore winning you know awards out of their offensive lines that Ohio State has not done so that's that's what gives me pause. I think the next time we're going to be able to get together is going to be certainly after week one, but maybe even week two. Do you want to do a quick a quick super blitz on the two games? Yep, Ohio State plays at Indiana and Youngstown State. They're going to be two and zero. Yeah, <laughs> Michigan hosts East Carolina, which I will tell you the only thing that is just slight bit inside my head about the East Carolina game that we should crush them is. Michigan's playing East Carolina on the Peacock Network, which is the first time a big red letter school has had a their opening game on a streaming platform. And it just makes me think about the first time a team played on this new thing that they were trying out when they regionalized the cable networks and the Big Ten Network started. Do you know what the first game played on the Big Ten Network was? I, I am very good at picking up context, You're right. so I so bet I can guess. You can. Guess <laughs> I had no idea. That's a great historical tidbit. A, but I... <laughs> a highly respected, highly ranked Michigan team is playing a overmatched opponent, which has some skill on their team in a game where they're supposed to march potentially to a national championship on a new media platform i love that. i'm just saying i got a, i got some creeps going up but michigan plays east carolina we're gonna blow them out i don't care about the past and then i don't even know who our team is that's how that's how crappy our uh our uh off off season or our preseason schedule is who are we playing michigan's second? got unlv how can you forget oh, the running rebels, rebels. The are running they the running rebels, rebels in football I, I mean, they, <laughs> is that their school name i, I so michigan's 2-0 when we get together ohio state's 2-0 we learn maybe a little bit about our teams, but not as much as we want to. And hopefully everybody stays healthy. I think we'll learn more about Ohio State only because at Indiana, yes, we're going to win that game. Indiana does give us trouble from time to time, no doubt about it. I don't know that they have the talent to do that this year. But a Big Ten game to open the season on the road against, uh, you know, it's like when you play your friends or whatever when you're a kid, like they know all your moves <laughs> and they always may be more competitive than somebody has never seen you play before. So that's why conferences games are tough. So I I expect we'll learn Ohio state will learn something in the first two games of value. Michigan's uh, the only thing we could possibly learn is don't, 
don't tempt fate with regards to curses. And hopefully I didn't speak anything to existence. With I the, don't the think Peacock that's likely. Network. Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll get a, a much different uh, podcast partner uh, a couple weeks from now, if it is. It's going to be a great season. It'll be very fun. I'm glad we're kind of easing into it. Well, sort of easing into it. Great season. Until we meet again. Go Bucks. Go Blue.